0: Can you actually microdose fun into your life how can we become less addicted to our phones Will injecting more fun into our daily lives make us more creative i'm bonku the host of design lab it's a show where we explore how to design healthier lives today's guest katherine price has been dubbed the maria kondo of brains by the new york times her new book is amazing it's called the power of fun how to feel alive again Catherine is an award-winning science journalist and speaker and author. Check out her other book, How to Break Up With Your Phone. She is also the creator and founder of ScreenLifeBalance.com, which is dedicated to helping people like me learn how to scroll less and live more. Her work has appeared in many publications, including The Best American Science Writing, The New York Times, Oprah Magazine, The Los Angeles Times, San Francisco Chronicle, The Washington Post Magazine, Slate, Men's Journal, Self, Outside Magazine, among others. Coming up on May 23rd and 24th, I'm going to be attending the Fortune Brainstorm Design Event in New York City. You should join me. In 2019, I attended the Fortune Brainstorm Event in Singapore. It was amazing. It's a two-day curated experience, and it's going to feature... Passionate design professionals who are engaging in in depth discussions, they will inspire and help you reimagine the future through design. Learn how design is being used to solve the world's biggest problems. And many of the speakers you can connect with at the Fortune Brainstorm Design event have been featured on this show. I can't wait to see some of my favorite people like John Maida, Antonin Carroll, George I, and Rachel Dikas. As an exclusive offer for listeners of the show, you can use the code Design Lab for a twenty percent discount on registration. For more information or how to register, go to fortunebrainstormdesign.com and please let me know if you're going. I'd love to connect with you there. Now, here's my conversation with Catherine Price. Catherine Price, welcome to Design Lab.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I've had so much fun preparing for this interview and it's actually been life-changing. And I've been reading your book and I've already implemented some of your recommendation life hacks into my own life.
1: What have you done? I'm very curious.
0: One thing is I've been trying not to put my phone at my bedside okay, and trying to keep that, keep myself from going at it first thing in the morning and late at night. And it's been like hard to do. And I realized well, I'm just reaching for this thing. It's like the last thing I touch before I go to sleep. And the first thing I wake up, and sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I just go to it. It's just like this bad habit. And yeah. not doing it makes me realize how much I do it
1: yeah, I think it's when we try to step away that we realize how compulsively we're checking them, and how attached we become to our devices, um, and how trained we become to just crave notifications and new information and basically dopamine hits all the time.
0: I I took the smartphone compulsion test that you mentioned in your book. Uh, guess what my score was?
1: I don't know if I want to.
0: <laughs> it was what was your score? It was thirteen out of fifteen.
1: Uh, okay. For the listeners out there who are not familiar with what he's talking about, there's a smartphone compulsion test developed by this guy, Dr. David Greenfield. He started the Center for Internet and Technology Addiction back in the late 90s, and he's got this test. It's a 15-question <laughs> test, and uh, let's just suffice it to say you qualify for a psychiatric evaluation.
0: Yes, I'm going <laughs> to read. So if you score eight... Addiction eight or higher, you might consider seeing a psychologist, psychiatrist, or psychotherapist who specialize in behavioral addictions for a consultation.
1: Yes. So, and I, and- I will say that uh, David Greenfield himself will say that he himself would score poorly on this test, but and as would I, honestly, even having written How to break Up Your Phone, but I think that it's really telling that it's not the test's fault. It's just that we're that bad.
0: Well, I love your new book, The Power of Fun. And before we dive into actually what defining what fun is... Are there actual health benefits to having more fun in your life?
1: There are health benefits to having more fun in your life. And I should back up and say I'm a science journalist by background and never would have thought I would be writing about technology and didn't anticipate writing about fun. My book before those two was about the history of vitamins, but I'm very interested in the effect that our environment has on our bodies and our physiology, in part inspired by the fact that I have type one diabetes. So I'm an endocrinology dork. Um, but I, I never had thought about fun as a health intervention. And what I realized is that if you define fun in the way that I do, which is to say, it's the confluence of playfulness, connection, and flow, which I can get into more. But if you define it that way, you'll find that while there's really no research on fun per se, which itself is fascinating, yeah. there is research on playfulness, connection, and flow. And all three of them are very low stress states, very relaxing states that encourage connection with other human beings. And that's very good for our health. So I came to the conclusion that fun doesn't just feel good. It actually is good for us. And I I just found that to be fascinating. It's not something I'd ever thought of. And I don't think many people think of it either.
0: Yeah. One thought that I had going through my brain was when I was reading your book is, um, it's pretty life-affirming life, life affirming for me because many times I feel guilty about having fun. I have a pretty high-stress job and seeing the evidence of all the benefits of having a more fun-filled life was validating for me in many ways.
1: Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that we feel the need to have validation and kind of a reason to enjoy our own lives? Because ideally, we would just say, oh, fun is a state in which we feel joyfully alive. And we deserve to feel joyfully alive. So therefore we can have fun. But many people such as you and also me really like also having some sort of reason for it or some kind of benefit that we can point to, to say, well, look at this. And that I think is very interesting to realize is that it really does boost our creativity and our productivity and bring us closer with people and make us more present. There's all these benefits of prioritizing fun. But I do think we've got a lot of misconceptions about fun. We often do think about it as frivolous. Which there says that's a whole conversation about why being joyfully alive would seem frivolous to begin with. Mm. But we think to ourselves, well, there's all these problems in the world. There's all these horrible things happening. We're in the midst of a global pandemic. There's climate change, et cetera, et cetera. And we fall into the trap, I think, of following that bumper sticker aphorism that says if you're not outraged, then you're not paying attention. Mm. That always makes me mad when outraged. In fact, when I see that bumper sticker, because I'm like, well, maybe I am paying attention. I'm just choosing not to only pay attention to things that outrage me. Because honestly, what good does that do? If I'm just spending all my time outraged and putting screeds on Facebook, that's not just frivolous. That's actually actively destructive. I'm not convincing anybody to get a vaccine by putting an angry thing on Facebook. So I think that we are thinking about fun wrong. I mean, Mm. it gives us the energy we need to tackle some of those hard problems. It also breaks down barriers between people so that we can actually work together instead of just yelling at each other. And also there's nothing that says that you can't prioritize fun and be a serious person. I think we often have this zero sum approach to life and that's not true. So yeah, I've, I've strong thoughts about that, <laughs> but I'm glad that it helped to validate your own belief that fun should be a priority for you because it can be really hard to push against these misconceptions that we have and do that.
0: This is like a therapy session for me. This is great. (laughs) So you have a fun frequency questionnaire in your book and you know nothing about me. This is the first time we met. Uh, Do you want to guess what I scored? I
1: actually would think that you scored relatively highly based on our conversation thus far. What did you score?
0: I scored a forty-three.
1: It's out of fifty, and this is a case where it's good to have a high score.
0: Yeah. So have been trying to like design a life around fun. So maybe that's why I've been feel guilty for so many years about having fun in my life because I think fun is seen as frivolous. So I, when one of my favorite activities is surfing and and skateboarding and mountain biking, and I, I love do that you're those. You're an
1: emergency room doctor, and those are your favorite activities. <laughs> like why not go where the business is? <laughs> <laughs>
0: And you know, when I tell people, I've been trying to not tell people I surf on the East Coast and I'm a you know physician because I think it's seen as this like frivolous activity, but it is one of the funnest things I do in my life. So I've like try not to tell people that I first met in a professional setting that I surf.
1: Really? Is Wait, that bad different if you were on the West Coast?
0: I think it would be a little bit different if I was on the West Coast for sure, because I think it's more accepted professional surf uh, there, but it's, you know, it's not that common on the East coast.
1: See, I would think more that people would think that you're crazy. You know, like I've got a friend who went, I guess he had a really thick wetsuit and he went and he surfed somewhere off the Jersey shore in February last year. And I was like, okay, well that sounds very uncomfortable. I wasn't thinking, oh, that sounds unprofessional. So I, yeah, I think that is, that is okay. I'll say this. There's a real value in humanizing ourselves too, that being seen as someone who does embrace fun and who has a life outside of work actually makes it a lot easier for people to relate to you, whether it's to your patients and the people you're treating or your professional colleagues. So I think we often instinctively shy away from showing the fun side of our personalities because we worry we won't be seen as quote professional Yeah. seriously, but in fact, it humanizes us. I think you should do an experiment where you start sharing that more frequently and see what the response is.
0: I, I've been trying to come out of my fun shell and sharing those <laughs> uh, that information. I
1: mean, so this fun frequency questionnaire is a quiz that I designed just based basically to give people a baseline when they start going through this. So the first half of my book is about what fun actually is and why it's good for us. Surprising case for fun. And then the second half is a step-by-step plan for how you actually can incorporate more of it. And as part of it, I suggest that people set a baseline by taking this fun frequency questionnaire, which is basically designed to see how much fun you are currently having, or in many cases, not having but it asks things like, do you have enough fun? Do you actually think fun should be a priority? Do you regularly encounter things that delight you? you know? So mm. it is just basically meant to give people a sense of where they are when they start so that hopefully by the time they get to the end of the book and they put some of the ideas into practice, they might see an increased score.
0: So uh, you said before the definition of fun is this confluence of uh, playfulness, connection, and flow. I want to try to touch on on a few of those themes, but you know, one I love is this idea of total engagement. Uh, What does that look like?
1: Yes. So flow is a state of total engagement in the activity at hand to the point that you lose track of time. So you could think of a athlete in the midst of a game or when you're surfing and you're trying to catch a wave or you're skateboarding and you're in the middle of trying to do a trick, like that would be states of flow. One of the common misperceptions people have about flow is that it can be passive because people will say, oh, I lose track of time when I'm watching Netflix. Mm -hmm. And Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, the psychologist who coined the term, he would say, no, that's not flow. That's actually what he would call junk flow because it's passive consumption. Mm -hmm. So flow is a very active, engaged state. And Csikszentmihalyi argued that our moments of flow are often some of the peak experiences of our lives. It's the moments that we truly do remember. So it's a state that we should seek out as often as possible if we want to enjoy our lives. And also if we want to be creative and productive, because it's an extremely creative and productive state. And one of the important things I took away from researching flow is that anything that distracts you is going to kick you out of flow because Mm -hmm. it is a state of total absorption. But if you extend that, then you'll realize that anything that distracts you is going to also prevent you from having fun. And when I thought about, well, what's the biggest source of distraction in my life and most people's lives these days? Well, it's the notifications coming from our devices. We're uh. constantly dividing our attention. So that is part of the reason it led me to conclude that if you want to have more fun in your life, one of the first things you need to do is make space for that by Setting better boundaries with your phone and with technology, which is why the power of fun. This new book is directly connected to my last book, which was called How to Break Up with Your Phone.
0: Yeah, Something
1: I didn't really put together when I first started working on the project, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized they're directly connected.
0: This aspect of fun, of the total engagement, the flow, uh, really helped me think about you know why is it that I lose track of time with surfing or mountain biking or skateboarding is. I'm not interrupted. And that's why it's so fun for me. I'm like totally engrossed in that activity. I can't think about anything else. I'm not disrupted. And so that was helpful for me to think about what are some fun activities that I engage in or what are, why are some activities I do fun? And you talked about the smartphone and we're salted daily by these like flow disruptors. I think you had called in your book and I can't, you know, look at my phone while surfing or mountain biking. I was like, so somebody goes, maybe that's why I love it so much. Um, I was thinking
1: that as you were describing it. Yeah. Cause if you're skateboarding, you're probably not also responding to a text message. No. It also makes me wonder in terms of your professional life, if there's certain times Because I would imagine, you know, constant alarms and alerts, not just from your phone, but from all the equipment in an ER and in a hospital, which is a side note design wise. I think, you know, there, there's obviously been a lot of research done about how detrimental that is. Yeah. But I wonder if there's, you see a distinction between certain experiences you've had where a shift seemed to really, you really were in flow and you were totally engrossed versus one that just felt so chopped up. Just kind of, because I think people often think Mm. you can only have fun with certain experiences or activities that are traditionally thought of as fun. Like, okay, skateboarding, like that's a leisure activity. That's not many people's job. So that's where you're going to find fun. But in fact, there are moments of everyday fun. You know, one story I don't share that often because my book publicist told me it made me sound weird, but I'm going to share it with your <laughs> audience because it seems appropriate is that I realized like, so I started writing this book during the pandemic, I sold the proposal in April 2020. So it's very much a pandemic project. Mm-hmm. And it certainly was strange to be researching and writing about fun and the importance of human connection during a period of social isolation and lockdown. But I think I had fallen under the assumption, as many other people do as well, the mistaken assumption that you have to go somewhere or do something exotic to have fun. It's something you do on vacation or the yeah. park, right? But in fact, if you define fun as playful, connected flow, which is a side note, I, put, I came up with that definition myself because there's really not a good agreed upon definition. But if you define it that way, you'll start to realize that actually there are moments of everyday fun happening all the time for most of us, even in lockdown, even during the pandemic, but we don't normally notice and appreciate them. So I had this experience <laughs> earlier this year where I had to get a cortisone shot in my shoulder uh-huh. and long story short, I had had a very unpleasant experience getting an um, arthrogram MRI Oof. for the same shoulder issue where they touched my bone, the syringe wouldn't push in like the tracer, whatever, like exploded out of the top of the syringe, was really miserable. And I was like, please don't let it be the same person. It was the same person who walked in to give the cortisone injection. And <laughs> and I could have had two approaches, I think. One is like, oh my God, are you kidding me? This is horrible. But I was like, this is so absurd, right? He was very nice. He was very nice. And then the attending comes in and we have this very funny like group consultation about where to put this thing <laughs> in my shoulder. And I ended up realizing that even though, you know, no injection, I mean, some with type 1 diabetes, I get uh-huh. a lot of injections. Like that's not fun, but I actually had fun. With this team, with the radiology team, <laughs> getting the cortisone injection. Cause I, when I went through the little checklist, I was like, well, it was playful. Like we were joking around, uh-huh. we We're certainly connected. They were putting stuff on my shoulder and we were actually in flow. Cause we were all present in that experience. And I was like, I think I just had fun getting a cortisone injection. <laughs> so I just share that. Cause I think it's like, you know, you can find it in the least expected. Times and places and circumstances. It just requires us to shift our focus to start to notice and appreciate these moments. And probably I I wouldn't choose to go back to that experience, although I do have to get another injection, but like, that's not like, oh, I really am looking forward to doing that again, but I can frame it as an experience of fun and then have it be something that gives me pleasure to look back on.
0: And I love how you talk about having this mindset for fun and on a daily basis of microdosing fun, which is so cool. Like I've for listeners who may not kind of get that concept, what does that mean, like microdosing fun on, on a daily basis and having this mindset for fun?
1: Well, having a fun mindset, it's my version of Carol Dweck's growth mindset is basically opening yourself to opportunities for playfulness and connection and flow that either already exist or that you can create. Because as the cortisone story perhaps demonstrates, I just don't think I'm super weird for that, but um, you know, it is, they are all around us. So that's the fun mindset. It's basically shifting from, The, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention mindset, which is actually, you know, a very natural state for our brains to be in because we evolved to be very hyper aware of threats because that's how we have survived as a Mm -hmm. species. So we actually are going against our brain's natural tendencies to shift to this fun mindset. Then I realized that fun is very elusive. You can't plan Mm -hmm. for fun in the traditional way that you could plan for a picnic or for, you know, going to a movie. You're not going to say, I'm going to have fun from eight to 10 on Saturday night
0: you that can't put so an outlook I mean. invitation for fun on your calendar. <laughs> no, like,
1: although I wish someone would do that for me. You might have to do that. I, think be very, <laughs> I would enjoy that, but I, I realize there's ways to sneak up on it. And one way to sneak up on fun is to identify things that typically generate fun for you personally. Mm. I think of these as sort of fun magnets as the people and the activities and the settings that typically lead to fun for you personally. Each of us has a different collection of them, and then you can actually put them on your calendar. And you can do them in a couple different ways. One is to plan for what I think of as <laughs> this is before these were think booster shots, where it's a bigger thing like an actual yeah. vacation or a trip with friends, something that it's really takes more work and effort, but it, you know it's going to be a big payoff. But then there are also these opportunities for micro doses, as I call them, which are just everyday moments of playfulness and connection and flow. And you can do that either by just noticing things that already exist or putting little things on your calendar. So for me. I take a guitar class that I go to every week, which actually often is a booster shot, but it's something I I can put on my calendar. And I know that even if that particular class is not the biggest explosion of fun I've ever had in my life, I know it's going to be more fun than anything else I would do on a Wednesday night. And having that on my schedule is a way to microdose on fun. Mm -hmm. So I think that just figuring out little small opportunities to work everyday moments of fun into our schedules is very useful with the ultimate goal of always having something to look forward to, but not that doesn't need to be a huge thing. It can be a very small thing that you're looking forward to. And that's the microdose.
0: You have to design your daily schedule to make room for fun to happen. And like for me, it's you know building some unstructured time during my day because it gets so filled up with my calendar and meetings. And like I have to set aside a few moments in a day for that not to be structured. And, and I, I have kind of like these fun dates, with my friends, sometimes where I, we like, we put on the calendar, we're going to go mountain biking on Tuesday morning, even if it's a couple of weeks in advance, because if I know if I don't do that, that day is going to get filled with just work. And yes. so kind of have to, it seems like a little bit weird, you know, but you almost have to design your day around for fun to happen.
1: I think you definitely do because we, as you and I were just discussing, we put fun at the bottom of our priority list. And so of course it's never going to happen because maybe it does in little doses or it's there, you have serendipitous moments of fun, but as we get older and busier and have more responsibilities that happens less and less often. So if we want to build a fun filled life for ourselves, we really do have to carve out space for it. And I think one thing that's interesting to think about too, is that I don't think anticipation is the same thing as fun, but anticipation is pleasant. Mm -hmm. And in COVID times, I could see us taking one of two stances, like don't plan for things in the future because you might be really disappointed if they don't happen. But one thing that I've been trying to do, and maybe this ties into the fun mindset that I was just talking about, Mm -hmm. is to make some plans knowing they might fall through, but just enjoying the possibility that they won't fall through. So for example, I organized a ski trip weekend with some friends for President's Day weekend. Right now, I'm personally in total lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but I'm enjoying knowing that it's on my calendar. So I think that having a shift in our mindset where instead of worrying about being disappointed if things don't work out, we can think, well, it's nice to be able to look forward to them. And if it doesn't work out, well, hopefully we'll be at a different stage. And in a month or two from that, it will work out. So I think there's a lot we can do. By intentionally shifting our mindset so that we are, I mean, I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna, but shifting ourselves towards this more positive way of thinking and embracing absurdity and trying not to hang on too much to disappointments, which of course is like a lifetime practice. And I too am in therapy. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) what is practical advice on how to minimize the ultimate flow disruptors uh, being our smartphones and emails. Because for me in my life, that disrupts you know, so much of kind of fun and, and just bombarded all the time by that.
1: Email in particular?
0: Email and my smartphone.
1: Yeah, well, also doctors, Epic, all that.
0: Oh it's my horrible. gosh, the horrible. EHR. Now we have the EHR on the smartphone, and uh, often, you know, when I sign in for a shift in the emergency room, I put my actual cell phone number in the chart so I could get calls. And sometimes I forget to take it off, and then I get calls outside of my shift. So, oh. and everything's like an emergency, right? You know, but yeah. So.
1: Well, that's so funny. Normally, I I tell people that one very important thing to do is to define what an emergency is because most of what <laughs> other people, you know, non, not you think of as emergencies aren't, <laughs> you literally are an emergency room doctor. So that's pretty funny actually. You're like, yeah, no, if they're calling me, it's an emergency. That's my job.
0: <laughs> yeah. But there's so, so many times like outside of that, if I'm working on a different project or program, right, that's right, like right, right. not an emergency, but I feel Or you're not a
1: person on call for the, I think we have to be ruthless about creating boundaries for ourselves. Mm. I was actually thinking about, there's like a practice of, you know, picking a word for your year. Someone was telling me about like, just using that as kind of a guide for yourself. And I was like, huh, what would my word be for my year? And I actually came up with ruthless, which does not sound very fun by the way, but I was just thinking about the need to be ruthless about how we protect our attention and our time, because those are our most valuable resources Mm. And I agree that email in particular is really dangerous in terms of its ability to fill our time so that we no longer can choose how we want our time to be filled. So a couple of things I would say in terms of the smartphone, everyone should go through their notification settings and drastically reduce the number of notifications that they're receiving.
0: I had to do that. And that remarkably improved my life of turning off all notifications, even text notifications. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: And there is a new tool. I don't think it's perfect by any means, but Apple did just uh, introduce a new tool called Focus that allows you mm-hmm. to choose notification settings for different times of your day. So it's, I'd say the first goal is to absolutely minimize them as much as possible and also minimize them within apps themselves. So I think of it as two layers, mm. um, Instagram being an example, which I hate. But yeah. on Instagram they want to notify you about absolutely everything. Cause that's how Instagram makes money. Like yeah. oh, so-and-so started a new IGTV thing. So you have to go into the app itself and say, I only want to get notified for mm. these particular things. But then in your phone itself, you can go into the not- notification settings And just continue to use that as an example, say, I don't want any notifications from Instagram on my phone. I don't want any of them. I only want to know what's in that app if I open the app. And then when I go into the app, I only want to see this very small subset of possible things it could notify me about. So I think that it is worth the time that it takes to go into Hmm. your most commonly used apps and adjust those settings. For many people listening to this podcast, I would suspect that email is going to be a huge one. yes, Also the news. And a lot of times we allow news, <laughs> I mean, if you subscribe to a, a news site and you're on an Apple phone, you're probably getting double notifications, yeah. getting Apple's notifications and the news site's notifications, and you're probably getting on your phone and your watch and your laptop and your tablet. Well, do you really need any of those notifications? I personally took news apps off my phone and mm-hmm. didn't just stop at the notifications because I realized that is just sucking me in and I am reading the exact same news stories again and again in the app that is a waste of my time and I certainly do not want to have news headlines on my watch back when I, I wore an Apple watch briefly because that's just stressful
0: yeah I can't wear an Apple watch because of that yeah. like I think they're cool but I will never buy one because it's too much
1: Well I think when I did use the watch it was interesting because I went to the Apple store and I was speaking to the sales guy and he was saying them this was quite a few years ago, he was saying that a number of people had come in wanting to get the watch to try to reduce their dependence on their phone, which is very interesting and I think should be a big business opportunity for Apple, right? But but the trick is that you need to only allow notifications for the things you really, really want to have on the watch. So I would mm. argue you shouldn't have email on your watch. What are you going to do with an email on your watch? You shouldn't have news on your watch. And in my case, I just had text messages and when you could do like ride share stuff And then obviously the time (laughs) and phone calls, because I wanted to be able to leave my house without the phone. Mm. I ended up abandoning it. But anyway, my point being that the first thing people should do is is take a minute to think about your actual priorities in life and then notice how your behaviors are or are not matching up with those supposed intentions, because Mm. I think that's a very eye-opening moment for many people that will provide you with the motivation to change in a way that You will not if you just start with tips and tricks and hacks. So you really need to understand the difference between your supposed goals and priorities and how you're behaving. Once you have that set, I would suggest you really think about what do you want to be doing with some of the time that you're on your phone? Mm. If you had one extra hour a day, what would you like to be doing with it? Because guess what? You do. We're just spending it on our phones. Also try to really think about some of the opportunity costs that we're suffering. Even Mm. if you think, oh, it's no big deal. Like I just get a couple notifications. Well, every time you get a notification, your attention's being pulled off of whatever you're doing, whoever you're with, whatever experience you're having, and you're focusing on your phone. And even though that might only be for a few seconds, it's going to take a while to get back into flow. Hmm. You will have broken the connection with the person. It's going to destroy your time. There's a journalist who refers to this as time confetti where we have our time broken up into basically unusable chunks. Because if you actually look at how people interact with their phones, it isn't that you spend, in most cases, 45 minutes just reading story after story on the news app. You get a notification for Twitter. You look at that for Hmm. five seconds. You get a text. You respond to that. That's 20 seconds. You go to your email inbox. It's five minutes. And it happens with little bits of time between. And that just destroys flow and focus and is having a huge impact on our lives. So I'm throwing a lot of things, that was not a particularly coherent way of answering your question, but I think no, that the intention first and then making these practical changes to support that intention is the way that we should be approaching this.
0: I'm vigorously nodding my head. And how do you deal with, for me, I feel guilty for not responding to people right away. And there's so many ways that we can be contacted, right? Slack, email, text. I wish people would just call me on my phone, you know, direct messages through social media platforms. And I feel this sense of guilt when I don't respond right away.
1: Yeah. We got to let go of that guilt. And I think we also need to stop apologizing for it because that just perpetrates this kind of mutually assured destruction of everyone's just in this arms race for who can respond to each other faster and none of us want to do it and a lot of times we respond quickly to get something off of our plate and out of our inbox and we just dump it into someone else's mind in and inbox they need to get it off their mind so they respond quickly and it just goes on and on and on and we wonder why we're stressed out all the time and feel like we've got no ability to relax or be present or do things we enjoy or spend time with people we care about so first recognize the opportunity cost of being constantly available and feeling this pressure to respond. And then that should alleviate some of your guilt because you shouldn't feel guilty, but I would say only feel guilty if you're actively harming somebody, which mm. presumably is not your thing, right? So <laughs> <laughs> kind of an oath there. And then I think that it's um really helpful to communicate. I think we forget that we actually have the ability to communicate with other people how we want to be communicated with. And I know that obviously there are certain limitations given the healthcare profession, which I think is screwed up beyond belief in terms mm-hmm. of well, in many ways, but in terms of the expectations on doctors and people in the healthcare industry to be available on those platforms. It's ridiculous. But I think that in other situations like email, you can have a signature line that says, I only check my email these times a day. Uh If you need me between these times, either here's someone who might be able to help in my absence, or, you know, if you have my number, call or text me, very few people are going to do that, but it will prevent you from worrying about missing out on something important. I do think establishing with people, how you're going to communicate, as I said, about emergencies ahead of time. Maybe not literal emer- medical emergencies, but uh-huh. just all the things where people will send you something that they think is urgent over email. Well, that keeps you tethered to your email. But if you have a conversation with your colleagues ahead of time, if there's this is what qualifies as an emergency, and in that case, I need you to call me. Yeah, that's going to be the chain of command, the, mm. the chain of communication. Also, using auto responders for email. So I often have an auto responder that says, "I'm not. I'm trying to." set better boundaries with email Uh, saying the same thing that I just said in the autoresponder. You can put that in your profile and social media. Like I actually mm -hmm. occasionally put things up. That's like, please don't contact me through Instagram. I hate Instagram. I can't figure out the messaging system. Don't contact me that way. So you can, I think, have more control over this than we, we realize there's also ways to set up automatic text message responses. mm -hmm. Again, a design complaint to Apple that I have is that this, I'm sorry, it's 2022 guys. Like, why is it not easy to set an auto response for text messages? Uh, We have auto responders for email. We have a way to change our voicemail messages. We have all these other things they've given us. Many tools they're tracking us all the time. I mean, it would be very easy to provide us with the functionality to send an auto response. Right now, the workaround to do that is to go into the do not disturb settings Mm -hmm. and go to the do not disturb while driving. And you'll see that they shouldn't have it activated manually and that you can customize the message that people get sent. Annoyingly, that means that you need to keep your phone not just on do not disturb, but on do not disturb when driving. And then anytime you use your phone, it will kick you out of that mode and you have to reactivate it. So again, stupid design. But with that said, if you're trying to take a break from your phone and you're worried about missing a text, Mm -hmm. which is a major source of anxiety for a lot of people, it is a workaround. And I've had numerous people write back to me upon receiving my text message saying, how did you do that? I want to do that too. I mean, it's really communication is stressing us out enormously. And I'd also say it's an interesting kind of challenge or experiment to just get more in the habit yourself of picking up the phone and calling people. Mm. I, I just actually got an unexpected call from a friend last week where I totally was doing that thing where you're like, okay, what is he actually calling about? We don't normally talk on the phone. And then he said, Oh, I read your book and I'm just trying out this thing where I just call people. And like, oh, <laughs> We're just having a conversation. And it was so lovely. It was, you know, a 20 minute break in my day. It was great to connect with him and hear his voice. And, you know, and it inspired me to reach out and call other people too. So I think treating our phones as phones is a really wonderful thing to do that actually makes you feel less stressed and is a lot more efficient in many cases than text or email.
0: Yeah. Uh, I have a thousand more questions, but we're running (laughs) out of time. I want to maybe end with this one. You know, What if we have a designer lives to be a little bit better and have some free time to have fun, but we don't know how to have fun? How can we brainstorm ideas around having fun?
1: Well, one thing I suggest that people do is to look back on their own lives and call to mind three to five experiences that they would describe as having been, quote unquote, so fun. That was my highly scientific terminology when I first started this project. Don't think that it has to be awe-inspiring or profound. You know, things people have shared with me include squishing mud through my toes with my friend Margaret or going out in the rain with my grandfather as a child and getting deliberately soaked. You know, these can be these very little moments, but what comes to mind when you ask yourself what memories stand out as having truly been fun? Then when you have this collection down on paper or in your head, ask yourself, are there any themes that stand out? You know, are there any people or settings or activities that are consistently associated with fun for me? Because that's when you begin to actually gain the ability to pin fun down a little bit more as we were talking about, by actually putting opportunities for those things on our calendars. So that would be one suggestion I would have. I would also ask yourself, like, what's something you've always been curious about? And Hmm. something you might have always been interested in trying or learning that you supposedly don't have time for. That's how I actually got started taking these guitar classes, which in turn inspired this whole book about fun, is that I was taking a break from my phone and I realized, oh, wow, I actually don't know what I want to spend this free time on. And I freaked out a bit and I ended up saying, well, I supposedly always say I want to learn guitar. I do say that and I supposedly don't have time for it, but now I do have time for it. So I tried it. When you do that, I would recommend, because I'm going to guess that your audience is <laughs> really um, smart and educated and very self-critical and doesn't want to look like an idiot. And you really <laughs> need to let go of that and be okay at being bad at stuff because you have to try new things if you want to have fun and you have to have a mindset of, Basically, what's the worst that can happen? You might suck at it, sure, Mm. but it doesn't matter because you're doing it for fun. And if you can laugh at the experience, then even a bad quote unquote experience can end up being fun. So I think letting go a little bit of our, you know, performance driven pressure and perfectionism is essential when you want to have more fun.
0: Well, thank you for writing this book. Thank you for validating and elevating fun in my own life. And so many practical advice that I can actually implement. So I, I love that when I read books, I can just like implement them in my life on a daily basis. And a huge fan. Thank you for coming on the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: I want to thank the sponsor of this episode, Fortune Brainstorm Design. Use the code Design Lab for a discount on their event in New York City. Go to Fortune Brainstorm Design to register and for more information. And sign up for our newsletter. Each week you'll be sent cool stuff to read. You can find the link on top of our Twitter account, that's at Design Lab Pod, or go to bit.ly forward slash Design Lab newsletter. You can follow Catherine Price on Twitter. She's at Catherine underscore Price or on Instagram, underscore Katherine Price. Her website is KatherinePrice.com and there you can buy her book, The Power of Fun. And don't forget to rate us on Spotify and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Design Lab was produced by Rob Puglisi. Our theme music was created by Emmanuel Houston and the cover designed by Eden Liu. See you next week.